0: Lord, most Holy Father, as we behold your character and look for you in your word and in the, uh, the life that you've given us to live, I just pray that uh, it might be your words and your thoughts to catch hold of us and inspire us to understand the beauty of the plan that you've laid out for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book, Desire of Ages page 151, we read this. In both the Old and the New Testament, the marriage relation is employed to represent the tender and sacred union that exists between Christ and his people. To the mind of Jesus, the gladness of the wedding festivities pointed forward to the rejoicing of that day when he shall bring home his bride to his father's house. And the redeemed with the Redeemer shall sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I like those two words. The marriage relation is employed to represent the tender and sacred union that exists between Christ and his people. So let's kind of go through a journey this morning. Imagine the future is now and the second coming is just moments away. What do you see going on around you? The earth is in commotion, there's an air of expectancy. God's people are in hiding, they're in seclusion. And, uh, and the moment finally comes there's a vast host of humanity covering the planet with all, eyes glued, with all eyes glued to the sky. You have a vast host of heavenly beings coming to meet that group of humanity. You've got these two groups that now are face to face. how do we relate to something that we've never seen, that we've never experienced? I mean, we read about this. We, we see it in, in picture form. We see it all through the Bible of, of God's coming back for his people. But how do we really make it real and, and practical and tangible for us today? Um, you know, and then I think back why did Jesus talk in parables? He said he, he told his disciples, he spoke in parables, and he told stories so that everybody could understand, so that as people went through their daily life, they would be able to look back. And, you know, he told the parable of the sower. And ever after that, when he saw when the people saw the, the sowers out in the field planting their grain, what would they think of? That story, yeah. And their minds would just flash back to the lesson that he intended to teach them. So I, th- I think if he was here today, he'd think he would give us another lesson. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. The closer to the event the more the activity level ramps up, doesn't it? I mean, six months out, a year out, what were the plans being made? I mean, they, you know, once every week or two, maybe you put another little piece into the puzzle. But as it's, it gets closer, it's a week away. It's three days away, do you remember? Um, the day before, you're just going frantic, aren't you? You've got all these details, and it's just like, oh, no, it's 24 hours away. The activity levels just increase, and now the time comes. The day's arrived. The hour is almost here. People are, are starting to stream into the, to the church there. From the bride's perspective, who is there? Her family, all her friends, coworkers, Everybody that means something to her is there. In a sense, her whole world is there, right? Now just think about this. They're all, let's see, the bride side is usually, what, the, the left side? I can never remember which side's which. But uh, so from the groom's perspective, who's there? The the, yeah, right on, the bride, that's the most important thing. But... Who has he invited? He's invited all his family, all his friends, his co-workers, everybody that means something to him is there. Okay. So, But yet, these two groups of people, they don't mix, right? They come in, they take their sides, and so you've got this scenario where you've got two groups divided. Start jumping back and forth between the two pictures that we're painting. And see if you don't recognize the the parallels. So the time is here. Ask yourself, where where do you want to be in the big picture? Do you want to be the bride of Christ? Or do you want to be one of the bystanders watching on? Okay, something for each of us to think about. the second coming, you know, there'll be those two groups of people. Do we want to be that bride? So now, at the very beginning of the service, where's the bride at the the very beginning? Hidden. Hidden. She's nowhere to be seen. So the the stage, the activity at, at first is right up front, isn't it? The stage is set. You've got the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, the minister, and the groom. And at first, all eyes are on him. The, the stage, that everything is set up there. And then what happens? The bride is brought out of seclusion. And, and you just watch the groom's face. And, and, and what do you see? It's just, ha-ha, this, this, this joy, this radiance. She's brought out. And she's ushered down to the forefront of the whole scene, okay? Jump over to the second coming. What do you see? God's children. They've been getting ready. Their characters have been made white. And, and they get brought out to the forefront. Read the last few chapters in Great Controversy, the second coming. I think it's such a beautiful parallel. And then what happens? She's brought to the front. What does he do? He comes, he comes down. And I wish the stairs were over here, um, but I don't want to get in front of the speakers there. He comes down to get her, right? And he takes her back up with him. Hmm. You know, as I think about this, how incredibly wise and compassionate God was to provide for us this picture of husband and wife, of of the man and the woman, to show us who he is, what his character is like, built within the relationship that, that he has planted within us Is a picture that he's trying to get us to see. And, you know, sadly, the world is doing its best to totally obliterate that picture. But in his wisdom, you know, he creates for us and then he he gives it to us in his word that uh, as we dig, we can start seeing that picture painted in, in more and more color. You know, I read in the spirit of prophecy. She calls the second coming on many occasions the great consummation. Now, where do we use that word? In marriage, marriage, totally. The great consummation, the marriage that we have in the physical sense among each other, is a representation of that great final marriage of all times. So we go on. The bride is brought up to the altar. Is the, is the service all about love and romance? It's just all the, the pleasant. No. The service, well, love and romance have a lot to do with it. Bringing those two people together. There's an appeal to law and principle, isn't there? That's what the service is all about. It's, it's a set of vows, that we take that are the strongest vows that, that we can take, isn't it? Tell what do we say? Tell death do us part. Um, you can't get any more serious than that. You're committing before all these people as witnesses that until the day you die, you will remain together and in union with this individual. So the law is appealed to, but yet in the service as well, there's also little details that come about how these, how these two people met, how they came together. There is romance. There is love that has drawn the two hearts together. And so we see a combination, of, think about this, law and love. Where do you hear those two principles, law and love? Isn't the gospel, that's what it's all about. It's law and love. Psalms 85.10 says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. These two elements, mercy, that's the love part. Truth, that's the law part that says, this is the way it is. This is the way it has to be. They meet together. Righteousness, the law part, and peace, the love part. They kiss each other. They've come together. And in the marriage relationship, in its most ideal context, the vows are said, what comes next? The minister says, you may now kiss the bride. Okay? The veil comes off, and that's when the couple's physical union commences. Like I said, ideally, and the reason why I think God gave us in his word the, uh, the admonition to keep ourselves faithful and to minimize the physical relationship before marriage is because it's pointing us to a picture that he wants us to portray. You know, as I've grown up, I've heard a lot of I think very, very shallow reasons why we should not get physically involved with other people prior to marriage. But I think this is the greatest reason is because marriage is supposed to point to a bigger picture, shouldn't it? And let me ask you, how many of you have seen Christ and been able to shake his hand or give him a hug? Anybody? Have you seen him actually face to face? No, none of us have. Our relationship right now with Christ is what? It's by faith, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's intellectual. We know and we're developing this relationship with him on a heart level. We have not yet commenced a physical relationship with God, but in the second coming, when he is there, when we're drawn up to him, it's going to be a physical, I mean, can you imagine? He's there, he's up in the sky, we're like miles apart, but we can see him, right? But then the moment comes where he's like, he's 100 feet away, he's right over there. Is that gonna excite you? Yeah. I mean, we're just gonna be shaking, it's like, wow, this is real, it's, it, it's really here, it's happening. And the veil comes up and we can, at last, it's our turn to commence that, that relationship You, my Redeemer, are here. Wow. They kiss. And then what's next in the service? The announcement. They turn to the audience, and the minister announces, I now introduce to you. Now think, how does he say it? Mr. and Mrs., Mr. and, I now introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Robert Norris. Why does he say that? Yeah, because the bride has just taken his name. You know, and then in this world, I don't know if you've kind of kept tabs on what's going on out there in the world, but that is so politically incorrect, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, you have this element that thinks, oh, that's just awful. It's almost like ownership in a way, but how beautiful it really is, isn't it? She now belongs to him. She, remember, represents humanity. All through the Bible, the woman represents humanity. So that's us that we should see in her. That's our response. When we give ourselves over to Christ, When we belong to Him, is there anything bad about that? Can we trust Him? Totally, with everything. We are yours. You know, use us how you want to, because that's going to be our greatest joy. She gets a new name. Is there anywhere in the Bible that talks about God's people getting a new name? Yeah. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knows, saves he that receives it. She gets a new name. Exactly what happens in the wedding service that God has given us today for us to see there's a picture of what he wants and what he's looking forward to. Let's go on. After the service, the couple leave. And that's when the two sides really mingle in together, right? On their way to the wedding supper of the Lamb, the reception. Okay, now think, somewhere at the reception, usually off to the side somewhere is going to be a big table, right? And on that table is where everybody is bringing the, the gifts, the cards, Now, this kind of makes me laugh every time I think about it because it's so predictable. 80% of those gifts are for what room of the house? The kitchen. kitchen. Okay, and the other 20% is going to be either the bedroom or bathroom. Okay, now think about this. Who are those gifts really for? The bride. The bride. Totally, they are. Uh, when is the last time you saw a bride and groom opening their uh, opening their their gifts, and there's a new shotgun, <laughs> or a chainsaw, or maybe a, a nice good axe, or you know something manly? Do you see that? No, no. it's it's a blender, it's a food processor, it's a. It's silverware. It's nice stuff. It's, it's stuff to make her life easier, better, equipped to provide for her husband, right? Okay, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of a people watcher. You watch people. The bride's opening these gifts, and you know he might be participating too, but can you tell there's a difference between the two when they're opening these gifts? What does the groom get? He gets the bride. That's where his focus is. His focus is intently on the bride. That's all he wants. The happiness, yeah. He gets her. Now think about this. Does this have a parallel in the future? What do we get in the kingdom? All of heaven, a new address, a new name. We get crowns, a mansion, eternal life. Yeah, access to the tree of life, the fruit that just perpetuates life. We get to be with Jesus and with all the redeemed through all the ages. I mean, we get everything. What does he get? Just us. But isn't that the only thing he wants to again mesh with his bride. It's been a long time since he got to come down and walk and talk in the cool of the evening with his people, hasn't it? He's been waiting 6,000 years to be able to at last, at one with us, be one with us in a physical context. Just be with his created children How how is he looking forward to that? You know, God planted within the heart of a a man and a woman to represent his character in two completely different ways so that we can see this picture that he's trying to say. Let me go on. Is this just a fun or pretty picture that we're imagining? Is marriage... Just boy meets girl, they fall in love, marry, make children, get old, retire, and die. Is that all it is? Is marriage a grand emotional or physical crutch, a place where we go to get our needs met so we can go through life well-fed? That just sounds weird, doesn't it? But yet, how many books out there, you know, in the bookshelf is talking about Oh, how do we get our needs met? Oh, needs. And, and all these things that we have to do to make sure that we are satisfied. Is that what the gospel is all about? No. no. There's something deeply spiritual attached to the relationship that God's given us in marriage. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 12, 5, if you've run with a footman and they have wearied the then how on earth can you contend running with the horses? If in the land of peace wherein you trusted, they weary you, then how will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? Jesus said in John 3.12, If I have told you of earthly things and you didn't believe me, how shall you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? See, how are we going to... How are we going to understand his love for us, the future plans he has for us, if we don't understand the physical and practical sense of what he's given to us here on this earth? I was going to bring a little pocket calculator this morning and kind of give this example. This little calculator, I want to program into it Windows 7 or for you Mac people, I want to download, what's the newest operating system, Lion? The Lion operating system into this, into this little pocket calculator. Can I do it? No. This little calculator it does not have the physical capacity to hold that much information and to be able to process it. Can't do it. Okay, so when God created us as human beings the highest of all the created order on this, on this planet, but yet we fail miserably of, of being able to comprehend and processing his love and his character, what he feels for us as his, as his people, right? So what did he have to do? He had to create in us the ability to love on a, on a soul, on a deep soul level, he created in us a capacity to be drawn towards somebody of the other gender. He gave us the capacity to procreate, to create a little child in our own image. And as we experience those things, as, as we start... I mean, how do you explain love? How do you define life? I mean, it's one of those things, it's just... We know it when we experience it, but it's hard to explain, because he built into us the ability to experience this, and then all through his word, he says, look here, look here, what you're feeling is just a tiny little piece of how I feel towards you, saying that's what it's like. You know, and I remember having those, those thoughts. If what he feels towards us, maybe there's hope for me. But yet, why do you think marriage and innocence is facing such unparalleled attack in our society today? Satan is desperate and urgent to destroy this concept and a connection between God and his people, Christ and His bride, and the relationship we have with each other. Because if we cannot see the relationship that we have between each other as pointing to what God wants for us, it's gonna it's gonna truncate our relationship with Him. It's just going to be there's a God out there somewhere, yeah, and he loves us, and it's nice. But how do we, how do we make it practical and, and real? As an example, put it kind of in a military context. If, if a commander sends a, a reconnaissance mission or, a, or forwards a group of troops out into the battlefield, and in one particular place... Those soldiers meet with massive and intense resistance. What does that tell the commander? There's something important there. There's a high value target, or it's, it's situationally a place of advantage, okay? So why is Satan attacking marriage today and the relationship between us? It's a high value target. There's something deep there that means something and he's desperate to, to dis- damage us so that we start living defensively out of the pain of the past because of the brokenness now that we have. We distance ourselves. We protect ourselves. We have these fears that uh, Justin talked about last night. And so we're not quite willing to take off the bandage and expose ourselves to the other person. And in consequence, guess what happens in our spiritual life? Our spiritual life always follows our physical life. There's an intimate connection there. What you do physically, you will do spiritually. If you fornicate and, and mess around, you will do that spiritually with the God. I, every peop, uh, person that I've talked to that has gone off and I inquire about their life, how is your, your spiritual life doing? It's always the same way. They're confused. They have identity issues with God. It just walks hand in hand. And so we default to this world's philosophy that we just are pounded with day in and day out from magazines, from TV, from radio, from Internet. Everything we see is just screaming at us, what will make you happy is unrestrained freedom. You need to be in charge of your life. You need to cast off law and and restriction to have what you want to have. It's all about me. It's all about my feelings and what I deserve because I'm special. I mean, isn't that what we're getting fed out in society? Hmm. But yet Christ comes along and says, no, read my word. Within my word, within biblical marriage, is a model designed to show my character to you as, a, as an individual. It shows us who God is, his compassion, his sympathy. And as we start living that in our relationships here on this earth and pursuing that, we really do find peace and a connection. And then, like Mrs. White said, she mentioned A well-ordered, well-disciplined family speaks more for the gospel than anything else can. So if we can start living these concepts in our homes, people are going to see it a mile away. And are these people out in the world satisfied? I mean, are we always satisfied when we choose the world's way? No. We're longing and hungering for something deeper, something more connected, more personal. And as people see that, they will be drawn to that, okay? Think about the quote in Desire of Ages, page 151. In both the Old and the New Testament, marriage, the marriage relation is employed to represent the tender and sacred union that exists between Christ and his people. To the mind of Jesus, the gladness of the wedding festivities point forward. The rejoicing of that day when, his, excuse me, when he shall bring home his bride to his father's house and the redeemed with the Redeemer shall sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Purpose now, this morning, to be the bride of Christ, not the bystander. Okay? The bystander just has to go home and that's it, right? But if you're the bride... It's the beginning of a whole new life. And this is coming up pretty quickly, wouldn't you think? Look at the world around you. The intensity level, the preparation for the marriage is getting intense, isn't it? Things are starting to happen, and even the people out there know something's going on. Even if they don't have a knowledge of God or, or the Bible. They know something's coming. And so it's indicative for us to surrender as Christ's bride and to be ready for him. Let's close with prayer. Lord, most Holy Father, just pray that uh, as we think about this, we think about the messages that we'll hear this, this week, that it really would catch our attention and that it would change us, that we would surrender to you as our heavenly husband and give you our entire being and surrender whatever it is that you ask us to surrender and that we would live to give to you, to the people around us, to your glory and to your honor. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.